What's happening, ladies and gents? Welcome back to Party Roulette. This is the one, the only politics podcast of Uber Radio. <laughs> so the last couple episodes, I've been calling in with my friends from around the world. Uh, last week, we did one about fascism in Poland and the Polish elections, which very sadly went back to Andrzej Duda, who's going to serve another term now as the president. Terrible, terrible state of affairs for fascism in Eastern Europe. But this week... We have a very special guest. <laughs> you might recognize his voice from uh, the couches in the Rotas Island compass. He is the ex-chair now of Room for Discussion, a true Beanock of the university. Beanock, of course, meaning big name on campus. Or as the ladies like to say, big dick on campus. <laughs> yeah, big E. <laughs> yeah, got it right. Elma Holkland, how are we doing today, bro? Doing well, man. Are you the only one that does the politics podcast? Uh, yes, pretty much. I mean, we have, yeah, I think, I mean, this is like more US politics, but it can also diverge into other, other Would areas you say you're the politics. most qualified for the job? <laughs> is this an interview? Sorry, man. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I know that uh, radio does it differently. Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs> more yeah. grassroots. Yeah, so you don't really have a fact checker here, usually. So I feel like we should talk a bit about politics. Oh, yeah? And get your facts right. Mm-hmm. So you got some facts on that laptop over there? No, I don't, actually. This is a, a thing I'm working on. Oh, a little, little side project. A little side project. Oh, that's nice. A little bit distracting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so how does it feel uh, to see Joe Biden doing so well and Bernie slowly decaying? Uh, so here, we're, we're getting straight into it, I see. Yeah. So for those, for those of you listeners who aren't aware... Uh, my, I'm actually a, a huge Bernie supporter, probably aware of that. But Elmer over here is not a Bernie supporter. Elmer was actually an Andrew Yang boy. Yang gang, Yang gang, Yang all gang. day long. The one, the Along only. with the other incels. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. We can be depressed, but at least we have $1,000. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah exactly. exactly. I need that $1,000 to go buy fucking Pop-Tarts and exactly, manga. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Andrew Yang had it for us, man. Also, all the truck drivers that are risking a lot of automation. You know, I would say... Uh, yeah, I was definitely a Yang boy. If not Yang, then I was for Bloomberg. But then uh, those what NBAs. What attracted you about Yang, man? What really? attracted me about Yang? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess it's the same kind of appeal that people liked uh, Trump for a bit, you know? Uh, people like an outsider. If you look at Joe Biden, you're like, man, that guy is Washington, D.C. If you look at Bernie Sanders, he's also a bit of Washington, D.C. You can act like he's not, but he's also been in Congress for a very, very long time operating in politics. And same thing, I think, with Warren and Harris. I guess Buttigieg was a bit of an outsider, I would say, but I think people are genuinely a little bit annoyed with these kind of scripted ideas of exactly how it should work because that yeah. hasn't been working for the last... I saw a lot of that in Iowa, decades. people like, oh, but he's just another white guy who's been yeah. in politics for 40 years. I'm like, yeah, but... It was a bit weird when uh, Yang actually brought up uh, he was <coughs> the only person of color. On stage, I think it was, after Cory Booker got... I feel like uh, every single candidate, at one point or another, is going to dip into the identity politics. Yeah, of course. Uh, or like at least reference it or have to respond exactly. to it. And it's, exactly. It kind of... It, it is the primary thing nowadays in American politics. And mm. It's a troubling thing we see how... Yeah, it's, it's all about what color you are and whether or not you have a dick. Definitely, definitely. That really can... That decides what you can say and what you can't you say. Did you see the thing recently? I, would you, mm, okay, well, wait, wait let's pause wait, that. Wait, 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 this wait, is where wait, you need wait. some fact checkers. <laughs> do you think someone like Elizabeth Warren would be able to get as far as she did? Same thing with Kamala Harris if she wasn't a woman. If you, she wasn't a woman? Yeah. 
Because you can talk about how, for instance, you oh, know, so Joe you're Biden. Saying, you're saying now yeah. that that actually helped them. I would say it's different to say whether it wasn't the defining feature of them being the nominee, right? But the question is, would Warren have gotten as far as she did if she had the same policies and she was a man? In the same way with Kamala Harris. Because I think there's a genuine argument to be said that being a woman is actually what pushes people ahead when it came to a Democratic favorite. Mm. I think they would have, honestly. I think what attracted people about Elizabeth Warren um, is the fact that she effectively copied Bernie's platform whilst maintaining a much more wonky, technocratic, capitalistic spin on it. Like she said back in September, I am a capitalist to my bones. That was a direct contrast to Bernie Sanders, who was going out there in every single week and being like, I'm a socialist, I'm a socialist, I'm a socialist. And it's like, okay, but you know, 70% of the Democratic electorate identifies as moderate. So they're going to hear that and be like, all right, fuck you then. I don't want socialism. I don't want a revolution. I think that was what really got a lot of support behind Elizabeth Warren. And then the fact that Bernie had all the negative media coverage, he had his heart attack. I honestly think if Warren hadn't lent into the identity politics so much like she did when she got these Hillary staffers onto her campaign and she started getting told, okay, you have to bring up the fact you're a woman constantly, bring up the fact you'll be the first woman president constantly. That was what fucked her. When she started to attack Bernie yeah, yeah. and calling him a sexist, that killed her campaign. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I think actually being a woman hurt her. I, um, I think maybe near the end, but I think... So, I mean, if you're dealing with what gives you into the debate threshold, which was what really matters in those primary uh, debates, especially for people like Andrew Yang, just trying to make it on the front uh, front end, I think there is an argument to be said that the Democratic Party, and understandably so, wanted a potential woman on the ticket, right? It's something that's been, been focused on in American politics for a while now, is that they want either a female president or even a female vice president. And I do think the focus on someone like Kamala Harris, who, you know, to a certain extent botched it with the uh, with marijuana lies that she did. This is already making her unpopular. One of the reasons that she was able to stay in was because of women's support, female support. And the same thing with Elizabeth Harris. I mean, not Elizabeth Harris. Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, same, same thing. thing man. Same thing, man. Um, no, but Elizabeth Warren... Um, Elizabeth Warren was kind of like a bit like Chris Christie uh, for the debate in... Um, 2012, when he did a Marco Rubio suicide, that was the same oh, thing yeah, that yeah, she yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she did for um, when he was like Bloomberg. Rubio bought Rubio bought exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just can't say anything genuine. Look at him. He's yeah. in line. It was, it was wiping the floor. With Rubio him, yeah. just short circuited yeah. in front of the whole country. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it was a it was a wonderful piece of American politics. Oh yeah, sure. that, was, that was a true highlight. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I, don't know, I think there's a certain extent also. I mean. This wraps into a different conversation, but I think a lot of people could have painted Elizabeth Warren much more um, opportunistic uh, as people originally gave her credit for. Like even at the end when she was dropping out and they asked for an endorsement, which would have been pivotal for your favorite candidate. She said, I'll be thinking about Crucial. it. Complete dick move. I mean, that's like... And unbelievable. She is the she yeah. is the true traitor of the campaign. She... <laughs> it was unbelievable to see like... Bernie in that situation where he so desperately needed it, he needed a fucking K 
kickstart. Like yeah. Biden had just wiped the floor with him on Super Tuesday, and then she drops out, and it's like, come on, yeah. please, please, give us. And then she's like, nah, man, nah, I'm, I'm cool, I'm cool. And he like, apparently the reports, it came out, it wasn't because of policy differences or anything. It was actually because she was still salty about all the stuff that had been said against her by Bernie supporters calling her a snake. And that, that, You're that, to blame. that tells me, yeah, apparently, like, <laughs> I think it's, man, I, I did a podcast back in September, half an hour, just talking about how she's a fraud. Yeah, yeah. I called it since day, man. I wasn't yeah, having yeah, any of this uh, shit. I was you like, like you, can already, you can already see the fucking beginnings yeah. of this. Like she said, oh, Medicare for all is a framework. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not really like my, oh, no. I could see, see the fucking politics in her brain. And that's what she is. She's an establishment candidate. Oh, very. But she, I, I think she became like this after being in, in Washington for a while. Because when she first came into it and she did the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, I think she really did believe in that. And she really, at that point, was all about fighting for the people. And she pushed Biden and Obama to adopt this. Like, she pushed it through Congress and Senate. And I think that was genuine. I don't, I don't think back then she was anywhere near as establishment or power-hungry as she is now. With her, I saw somebody who... I think there's different motivations behind each of these candidates. Bernie, I think, is really... I think this is what I also respect about Andrew Yang is I feel like he was still also a genuine actor and he did actually want to help people. I didn't agree with his policies. I, he's a bit too libertarian for me. And I think that... Too pro-business, yeah. <clears throat> too pro-business for the Democrats. Not, not pro-business for me. It's, it's the fact that in America you have these systemic things that are just going to hold people back. Like inevitably the fact there's no free healthcare, the fact that you can't go to a college affordably the fact that you know the schools are shit the infrastructure is is oh. ha- has a grade of d schools are not what they used to be in america this man. is true this yeah. is completely like, right I'm, you're completely right i'm not saying they're terrible i'm saying that they're not they used what they to be used best to in be. the world exactly like gold standard gold standard not anymore huh? infrastructure not anymore. gets a grade of d and i think that andrew yang with his thousand dollars a month ubi He's not actually addressing any of those severe systemic issues. And I think, like, the way I used to talk to, I used to, like, I was convincing Andrew Yang supporters to vote for Bernie. People were on the fence. I was like, man, 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 we're going to have eight years of Bernie. And then after that, eight years of Yang. And they'd be like, fuck, that's a good idea. I'd be like, in it. <laughs> I could have seen, I, why is that a stupid idea, that's man? Stupid. You think that, like, remotely, like, the entire idea of also. Andrew Yang, which you're talking about, like, oh, no free healthcare, no free schooling. The fundamental reason why you'd also allow for $1,000 payments to families, individuals, is so that they actually have some financial means in their pockets to pay for services that they don't have. Like, the amount of, like, out-of-pocket, no, in-pocket expenses people can make in the United States is dismal. Mm. I mean, like, not many people have just $1,000 regularly in a month that they can spay, that they can spend. 70% of people live paycheck, pay- paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, paycheck to paycheck, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, like, you know, I think when you're trying to see, if you see, okay, here's the fundamental issue. Americans need a more secure source of health care. Uh, they need to have a more secure source of just being able to provide uh, regular necessities for it, whether it be, like, you know, food, uh, drink, I don't know, medicine, whatever you may call it then you can either go from a Bernie perspective, which is that, okay, you can make government institutions structurally change it so that those things can be provided in the most efficient ways possible. Or you can already have necessarily the business infrastructure you need to provide that, but instead give individuals the means to pay for that themselves. Right. So I think it's two different ways of approaching 
trying to get the same thing in the hands of Americans. I don't know. Mm. I see what uh, you mean, but <clears throat> for me, there's there's two counterpoints to that idea and Andrew Yang's idea in general. <clears throat> the first is that stuff like healthcare should be off the table. Nobody should ever have to pay for healthcare. I think it should be a human right in the same way that when your house is on fire, you call the fire department and they come. Would you support a privatized fire department? But you're you're okay. So this is like a because I don't see any like I don't see any distinction. Well, between what do you think about things. the fire departments in the United States? I don't know much about them. Yeah, so I think this is like a like if you said anywhere else in the world, um, like and you say, oh, you know, privatize this, privatize that. That's that's awful. You're naturally making competitive. Then you're not painting the United States in its full picture, right? Because the entire United States is based off of extreme voluntary donations. It's a culture of charitable giving, which is like, I think is actually one of the biggest problems why we haven't had government created and government created demand for services like healthcare, schooling, even fire departments in that case. It's all based off of voluntary donations. So take something like healthcare, the argument is if you privatize it, you're gonna get a, it's gonna be a competitive market and naturally people won't be able to have the means to pay for healthcare. And a lot of conservatives that are against the privatization of healthcare go, this is why I give money to my church. This is why I give money to uh, charities because they're able then to distribute the money accordingly to provide the healthcare means to these people that don't have it. I think the larger issue is a question of whether it should be voluntary or not. Um, so going back to like, you know, this kind of human right conversation, I think plenty of people think it's a human right, and any there's plenty of conservatives that would argue against having it a government created demand for healthcare, but they still think people need healthcare. They just have a different way of approaching it, and we can argue whether that's efficient or not. But it, you need to paint the full pic. I think you understand this, right? When you of were in Iowa, yeah, yeah. I mean, like <clears throat> I, I I saw all these perspectives, but. For me, there's also an issue that <clears throat> with something like healthcare and, for example, the fire department, if that were to be privatized, if any of these things that assume some kind of agency in the actor when they're... Because the, what you just said, okay, Americans need more capital to be able to pay for services. And you frame healthcare as a service. And my issue with that is that it's not like other services where you have some kind of choice. It's not like buying a car or a TV or Definitely a house. Not. Nothing like it because inelastic. you don't have a choice. It's inelastic. And yep. that for me is the entire issue is that when you, it's not just about the fact that healthcare should be a human right. It's the fact that healthcare should not be privatized. It's not a sector which reacts well to that kind of profit incentive because the customers have no choice. When you when you break your leg in the middle of the street, you don't have a choice as to whether or not the ambulance takes you to the hospital. They come, they'll ask you, do you have health insurance? You go, no, and they say, oh, sorry, man. Fuck, you either lie here and potentially die with your bleeding leg, or you pay 150 grand to go mm -hmm, to the hospital mm -hmm. in this ambulance. That's yeah. the deal. There's yeah. no agency, that is straight, that's mafia-esque practices, and like, that's a common trope the Bernie like fans and Bernie supporters say, but it's it's true. Like you can't you can't treat individuals like that when they're in such a dire way. And when you yeah. like break it down to the individual level, that is what happens every single day. And like right now there was like there's been twenty million more people in America who are now uninsured because of the pandemic. Because they've lost their job, healthcare services are getting overloaded. 
20 million more fucking people, man. And that is, that is like, it all, like, I feel like you're aware of this, the fact that the healthcare system in America is truly fucked, but it doesn't really seem like that you want to change it that much. No, I think, I think it can be changed. The problem is, is that it's extremely difficult uh, to do so in the United States. So especially if, like, if you're talking about what the end goal is, right, is that you want most Americans, you want all Americans to have the healthcare means possible if in the case that they're injured. And you don't want that to break the bank financially. You want them to have, a, a, like I say, a life full of well-being and health, live as long as they possibly can, etc. If that's the goal, there's a number of ways you can approach that goal that I think are sometimes extremely difficult and not maybe in line with what Bernie Sanders' policies are. So if you take something like Obamacare, right? Obamacare is based off of the Swiss model, which is the most popular and high, most high-rated healthcare in the world. Swiss and the Netherlands, I believe, come at the top. So the British model, which I think Bernie Sanders was based more off of... No, but, is, but Bernie Sanders didn't make any inclination towards what kind of public I mean, it was it was definitely mirrored off of... Um, <coughs> uh, I would say I British don't think style. it was, man. No, because the British, the NHS is like a government institution. Yeah, he wasn't exactly, advocating for that. He was he was advocating for that you'd have a national. Let me get this right because this is the Swiss model. Maybe he had this. No, he wasn't. He wasn't yeah. advocating for a for a national institution. He was advocating for complete public funding of private yeah. So this is a bit difficult. So the what you have because the entire idea of health insurance, more people pay in, the cheaper it gets. Obviously, right. Yeah. Um, so what you have in Switzerland is you do require it. This is the individual mandate. You require people to have health insurance and they can face a financial. I'm not sure if it's a financial penalty. That was for Obamacare. But you are penalized if you don't have health insurance. And you have private competitors competing with a government-created health care plan uh, that provides people the means that they need. Right. But this was already like the most controversial part of Obamacare, the individual mandate. A lot of Republicans did not want to get signed up on that. I think a lot of Americans, for that matter, did not want to be fined in the case that they didn't have health insurance. You could say it's a problem in the structure. But I'm saying it's very difficult, very difficult to get that passed, which is a fundamental part of keeping health insurance prices low because that stops the majority of Americans getting signed off on it. Um, and I mean, so, but, the, but yeah. this, is, this is the idea, is that I, I think we have to get out of the framework of thinking about keeping healthcare prices low. We shouldn't have healthcare prices. It's not something that should there should be a price on, man. It's just there are certain things in life that I think you can gain from from civilized society and buying like paying taxes and buying into this idea of a state. Like you don't have military prices. You don't have like Yeah, you do. No, not really, man. You know, but like as as an individual, you don't. But it's it's this idea of bringing down something which should be a human right and putting some kind of onus upon, sure, upon the individual. And I, I, I but you also want to get more efficient, don't you? But you not also think that like bringing up Switzerland, like, you know, they say the same thing about referendums and like, oh, they work in Switzerland, and Switzerland is one of the weirdest countries. It in is. The whole it's a world. bizarre country, and I don't think we could ever look at Switzerland with anything and be like, oh, let's be like Switzerland. Even if they do have like the most satisfied population with their healthcare, it's like a fucking weirdest country in the world, arguably. I'm just curious. It, without the price mechanism in certain areas of health insurance, how do you also get more efficiency in the healthcare system, right? Because we can hate on 
the United States for having an awful healthcare system, but it has the best healthcare in the entire world, right? I'm not saying in the ability for it to provide full coverage to Americans, yes, it's really bad at doing that. But that being said, the more privatized health insurers, which are, for instance, Switzerland and the United States, also have the highest exports of medical technology in the entire world, right? Which also makes the price mechanisms and the coverage cheaper for people. Like, I'm just saying it's a very, mm. it's not a super <clears throat> easy, it's a very complex issue. I'm but sure you're you know throwing, about you're, this. You're throwing around a lot. Yeah, I, I'm aware of what you're talking about. But you're throwing around a lot of words there, which are a bit misleading and saying yeah. best it's the best healthcare in the world it is no it's not the best healthcare in the world if it's, it is yeah it is it is the healthcare in the world which for the people who can afford it it's, yeah, yeah it's, i it's, agree yeah it's, yeah it's the most luxurious healthcare in the world i i agree with you well also technically the most innovation the most so innovation that, i agree with you and it's and it's yes. the best and mm -hmm. this is why people such as you know my grandfather people have flown out yeah. to America to get operations done to meet the best doctors in the world things like this but that isn't the best healthcare in the world it's actually the worst healthcare in the in the developed world in terms of for the entire population but that's right that's the distinction I would say between the but system then like, but, but, but then, and the, the care but then that is the key thing you can't really like I think there is a slight trade-off one for the other yeah definitely and I I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know I don't know maybe you 100%. do lose efficiency 100% but then what, what would you rather have? Would you rather have that 0.1% able to get, you know, the very best cancer treatment in the entire world? Or would you rather have the 95% able to like get good coverage and not become bankrupt as a result of it? This For me, a, that's yeah. a very easy question. This is 100% uh, an easy question when you're on the looking on the outside. Uh, but I also think that if you see how money is spent as a vote, essentially, you can see a lot of American consumers making that decision as well, right? So when you look at American healthcare, not only is the coverage poor and the system in itself bad, but Americans are also the worst patients to have in the entire developing world as well. So there's an article in The Atlantic which showed that if you're a doctor, the worst patient you could possibly have is an American patient. Because they often think they're extremely sick, they ask for overprescriptions, they ask for more treatment oh, exactly. than average. But this, this yeah. is also this is this is a facet of privatizing the healthcare industry. Because yeah. Americans get sold the idea that they're sick because the healthcare providers know, okay, we want to get people thinking they're ill. We want to get people thinking they need treatments. They come back, spend more money, or well, not even spend more money, but like their insurers have to spend more money, their employers have to spend more money. It's just like a money cycle. You, you like, think that's you don't think also the certain level of Anglo-Saxon culture. Is influenced as well as my Absolutely aunt. Not. No, if my no, aunt no, comes no. here and she had a, uh, she has two children. One she got, uh, she gave birth to one in the United States and one here. And she argues that she was very upset with how her childbirth was done in this country, just because she felt like the doctors were not as present uh, in the birth as it was in the United States. If I call the doctor and I'm feeling sick here in the Netherlands, I get put on a waiting list and they say. You know what, like, wait a week. If it gets worse, then come in. If in the United States I were to call, they would ask you to come in immediately. And there, this is the argument as well when you're, what we were talking about before, which is, you know, for a small subset of the population to get the best healthcare provision in the world, weighing that as opposed to better coverage so that majority of people can get the best means that they can. If you look at how Americans handle, for instance, elderly, 
trying to keep them alive to like the last moment. You know, like they're fucking dying. You know, like they're mangled. They're like, they're gone. They're not breathing. Americans will try to keep them alive for as long as possible. It's, it's a very insane uh, system in that sense. And so how do you weigh that? You know, this is you like, know, a, man, like I, I, yeah. I, I just can't like, that's just simply not true because that's, that that's only the case if the person has coverage. And if they have paid mm, for that okay. coverage, this is if, a difference. If, if, yeah. if, if, if the mm-hmm. person comes in, like there's there's stories every single week about people dying, getting refused from hospitals with free beds because they don't have coverage and they know they're not gonna be able to pay for it. And so yes. like that mm-hmm. that idea of like, okay, we're gonna take care of you, but only if you pay for it. And that's the, that's the key thing. And that's why it's maybe what you're talking about is true in that sense. In the sense that once somebody pays for it, yes then they get the best wait, coverage wait, in the world. I think we, we're and that is why a it's a transaction the, thing. I think, we, I think we actually agree on the problem in the sense that it's awful that there are some people being able to be kept alive on the most expensive costs uh, in the world to like more so that you would see in Europe while at the same time that there are people that are not being able to get access to healthcare in the first place, right? So we agree on that. That being said, you're blaming more of the privatization, which I agree with you is a fundamental problem. But I also think it lies a bit in the issue of the American consumer, that there's a lot of people, and realistically speaking, that demand a lot from their healthcare providers in the United States as well, Mm. that are upper middle class and upper class, that are part of the issue. Uh, And you can say, okay, well, that's an offshoot of the privatization, where private companies are able to convince these people that they need to... Uh, that they're always sick and they need the best. And sure, I agree that's 100% a problem, but I guess I'm putting more individual blame on the consumers. I think that's a bit where this disagreement... I'd say if I'm comparing it to British from. culture, because I've been going yeah. to America my whole life as a kid and my dad's American, yeah. there isn't that much difference in the consumer culture. Honestly, like British people are nearly as fat as American people. British people yeah. love going out. They love consuming alcohol, cigarettes, drugs clothes all of these things popular culture music but th- there's a huge difference in our culture when it comes to healthcare and the key thing is is that we decided in the 50s to have a national healthcare service and that i i do agree that the problem can lie in the consumer but i i think it's a it's a cyclical thing in america of the consumer can play into it but ultimately it's being propagated by the private healthcare interests which are telling people, no, you have to pay for it. No, we're going to charge you more. No, there's a profit to be made here. And just purely just the fact that like 50,000 people die every year in the States because they don't have health care. Yeah, I mean, and then like, yeah. and then when you combine that with the fact that like you look at the, the profits of all these executive yeah. boards of these healthcare providers, like, you know, billions of dollars. It's like, okay, those billions of yeah, dollars yeah. directly led to the deaths of these 50,000 people. And it's like, I find that to be so much more of a fucked up stat than any coronavirus deaths I hear about because these 50K people could have lived if these people weren't making so much cash. I look at coronavirus deaths, I'm just like, I I have no idea how how many of these people would have died like if something else would have died next year, the year after. These are like very vulnerable elderly people who are just dying, not really because of a a virus, but because of underlying health conditions. Yeah. Separate tangent, mm-hmm. of course, let's not get onto that, but you see my point. No, I mean, like, I, it's like, if I can make an analogy where I think we agree completely, like, even if you look at something like Starbucks or Amazon, right, where you have massive executives in the private sphere, and then you have their workers being paid less than minimum wage, working hours at a time, and then the question is, what can we do about that, right? And there's a question of deprivatization, tax more, give more power to the workers, give more power to that. 
then there comes also a question of the consumer responsibility in, for instance, making Amazon and uh, things like Starbucks have so low minimum wage in the first place because the consumer also drives for a lower price in that kind of market as well. So to a certain extent, there's also a consumer to be blamed in that case. Obviously, it's a different field because the elasticity for something like coffee or like a book off of Amazon is very different than the elasticity for you wanting to get the health care uh, that you're provided. But I think we actually agree mm. on where on how to focus uh, that the fundamental problem exists. Um, then it's a question of the means versus the ends weighing. If that dichotomy exists, the, the tension between med tech innovation and at the same time making coverage, at what point should you, how can there be billionaires in the medical technology or healthcare field while there are people that cannot even get the healthcare that they need and they're dying because of it? Should that even be remotely possible? And that's a very realistic question. So how do you make sure that those people at the bottom can get the healthcare that they need? And that's a very... I think we agree on the problem, but I think it's a slightly different way of approaching it. Also, like if you look at the United States, Mitt Romney, which created the healthcare bill that also inspired Obamacare. Yeah. Uh, this is the big thing that came up in the debate where he goes, um, I think actually the healthcare is great, but the thing is it's not going to work on a federal level. It works, works much better on a state-based level, Romney care, so to speak. And the argument there is also because Massachusetts is just a much wealthier country, not country, much wealthier state. state. Uh, and there, there's a debate to be had about that. I mean, I think like... Was this in 2008? This is 2008, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so, the thing, I don't know the answers. I, I really I really don't know, actually. Well, no, not 2008, 2012. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Interesting. but uh, we... We could have a long discussion on healthcare in itself, but I'd rather I'd like to prepare for that one. Exactly. In the longer term, because I think there's like, because for instance, even the claims that Americans are more uh, selfish consumers, which they are, and I will defend that uh, for the sake of it. Not necessarily the people that aren't able to get the healthcare they need, but you know, upper middle class New Yorkers, upper class New Yorkers. You know, I've dated a couple of them, man. They are fucking. What's it called when you constantly think you're sick? You always think there's something wrong with you. Hypochondriacs. Hypochondriacs, exactly. And I do think that plays in even, you know, claims for um, antibiotics. I mean, you can see a big disparity between that. Um, and then also uh, the medical innovation. That's something that also needs to be claimed. Also, up, right? just the number of yeah. number of kids in America who are on Ritalin. Yeah, it's crazy. And fucking, yeah. what's the one that starts in an A? The... Uh, mm. Adderall. Adderall, yeah. I, I read this book called The Psychopath Test. Excellent book. It's all about um, like these 20 questions. You 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 should have a go at that. You fucking have that. We'll do that after we finish. That'd be great. Yeah, and it's like 20 questions, and there's a scale. So you either write two, strongly agree, one, kind of agree, zero, not at all. And then your score is out of 40. And if you get above 30, then you're a psychopath. Um, but the last portion of this book is dedicated to mental illness in general. And how in America there's like, you know, millions of, or hundreds of thousands of kids who are like on Adderall just because they go to a doctor. The parents are like, oh, my kid's like really hyperactive. He's running around a lot. I can't get him to sit down. The doctor's just like, bang, Adderall, yeah. sick. And then they, and the mom's like, all right, nice. He's fucking, he's chilling out. Yeah. He's actually, he can read a book now. Yeah. And then little do they know, like, they're just, they're just giving their kid like, a drug addiction at the age of seven. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe boys are just boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, boys, yeah. boys are the boys. <laughs> yeah. It's actually awful, but... Yeah. 
Anyway, I, I do want to discuss one thing though with you. And this is something. I remember when you came in here like a month and a half ago and you and James were like, would you vote Biden? Would you vote Biden? And I was like, nope, nope. I wouldn't vote for a racist pedophile. Nope. <laughs> and then you were like, disgusted. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't definitely vote for Biden. It wasn't like that, but yeah. Exactly like that, word for word. Um, but recently, Biden came out with something very good. Did you see it? $2 trillion plan for climate change? Uh, I wasn't even speaking about that. I was meaning the uh, the Buy America plan, investing in American companies. Yeah. yeah, a little bit protectionist. A little bit protectionist, but I think very necessary, man. Do you not think that we vote for him? I don't have a vote, so I have to make that case. Isn't that awful? But yeah, continue. I don't mind, mate. Got my British passport. That's all I need. <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know. This made me question it. And also the climate change bill as well. I didn't read into that so much. But the Buy America program, he's really outflanked Trump on the left here. And this is what Trump said he was going to do. But he didn't do it. Did you yeah. see there was like a great thing Trump had a couple of years ago where he didn't do the executive order of Buy America, which for those of you listeners who don't know, was Trump's one of his big things on the campaign trail against Hillary was him saying he was going to invest in American businesses. And... He always kept on saying, I'm going to bring the jobs back here. I'm going to, you know, fuck China, fuck all that. I'm bringing it back. Factory's going to reopen. And then, of course, none of that happened. And it was all just window dressing. And he's not actually going to stand up to corporations like that. And he did the Buy America week where he showcased all of the American companies. Like, this is an American rice farm. This is an American factory. And it's like... Okay, but you didn't actually do the executive order, which would have mandated... I, I think the idea behind the bill is that they have to buy enough things to support the American economy internally from American companies. Bit of socialism right there. It is a bit of socialism. Yeah. Well, well, Trump did try to do it. He just didn't subsidize accordingly. No, he just didn't. He didn't do the executive order. No, not, not necessarily the executive order, but for instance, against China, he did do protectionist measures that were arguably good for uh, even farmers in the United States. But the problem is, is that, you know, the demand goes lower for, you know, soybean futures, whatever. And then Trump, normally what you do in that case is you want to subsidize them, right? Because now they have much less demand because they cut off China, right? And so the argument is how can you pay those farmers that are now getting paid less because they have less to sell? Uh, and that's a big problem with protectionism. Mm. You should know this. PPLE should have taken this, but you whatever. Know, I finished well, PPLE in a year, mate. Did the intensive program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Record time. But yeah, you, you like to buy America. I think Buy America is a great initiative to me. I think there's one of the key things that has really fucked up America in the last 30 years is just exporting all of its industry. And I think there's a lot of, like the, the two big spheres in which I see globalization in, in the economy functioning is in the EU and in America and how it interacts with its neighbors in China. And in the EU, I love it. I think it's really helped bring Eastern Europe out of, out of abject poverty. Claim right now. Yeah, I mean... I see how it has strengthened the continent in Europe and it's really, it's not perfect. And I think the infusion of politics and law and culture has actually in many ways harmed the strength of the EU because the EU as an, as an economic unit is incredibly strong. But the fact that people are always looking at it and holding it up to be this bastion of federalism and like, this is, this is the future. This is an integrated culture and it's just a fucking economic union. Mm -hmm. And 
that pisses me off so much because I can see it working yeah. very well, but it's always getting undermined and questioned. So many of my friends here are always saying, like, ah, the EU's fucked, the EU's done. I'm like, and the EU is the only thing that we have which we're like, is, is actually going in the right direction and we have to all keep on believing in it. But with the states, with the deals, like regular trade relations with China, with NAFTA. Wait, can we, question before we move on to that. You said before that one of the biggest issues that the United States was doing was constantly exporting. Yeah. Right? But I've got a question about this. Was the problem more so you you like free trade, you like the fact that you know you have necessarily economic openness. I like free trade, doing, but there's a lot of prerequisites. Yeah, if they're not playing by trade. the rules of the game, China, so to speak, for instance, they don't respect the same level of intellectual property. It's not even like, the rules of the game for me. For me, it's like having economies which are like similar level and similar purchasing power, similar similar-ish GDP. And when the United States started up this huge trade relationship with China and Mexico, the difference in GDP was just fucking astronomical. And when you have something like that, the opportunity for exploitation of these native peoples in China and Mexico is so huge. And the incentive for all of these corporations in America to just move all of the manufacturing over there and also the rush that occurs. Because then, like, it's not even that all of these actors are, like, desperate to do it. But they kind of have to. Because if all their competitors are doing it, they have to do it as well. And then this rush happens. Whereas with the EU, it's like it's a large block opening up on like an individual level to. That's me for. Wait, you should move this here as well, G. You gotta watch like speak into this bit. Um. Where was I? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a completely different scenario, and I just think it really hasn't worked with American relations with China and, and Mexico. And that's why we've seen so much protectionism kind of reborn in the last five years is people are just fucking sick of the jobs leaving. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a massive issue. And I think it's something like Buy America would go a long way towards rectifying that. Yeah. So I guess this kind of goes into a, a neoliberal argument. Oh, which Mr. I don't want to neoliberal have. over here. Uh, <laughs> don't want to say, say it live on air that I'm a neoliberal. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, I think uh, especially... Um, there's also a moral reason why it's good, besides the fact that maybe, you know, it's good for American business, good for the American worker. Uh, I think a lot of the reason reality is, and there was an article in the New York Times which was like, it's about the economy stupid after Trump won, which was like an analysis why. Um, and if you're trying to handle blue-collar workers, which really love Trump's rhetoric and how Trump is handling things, uh, to a certain degree, they need to be appeased, right? It's a fact. Uh, this is also what Andrew Yang touched upon, which I don't get why you don't seem to appease enough either. But the it's, also what, it's also what the Polish party PIS has been doing with uh, giving out payments of 112 equivalent 112 euros a month to every single yeah. working class family. And then the working class family is like, fuck yeah, man, we're getting money from the government. It's like they're giving you pocket money for your loyalty. You know? Okay, okay, well, well before we get in there, but the the general argument is is actually, irrespective of China, which you can blame Bill Clinton for, for trade deals that basically let jobs go away. But the fact of the matter is, if you're seeing the counties that are at a higher likelihood to be automated also having the highest likelihood to vote for Trump 
these kind of more far-right fringe candidates, if we can call Trump that, then we need to do something about that. And that's to a certain cra- uh, certain case, returning agency to these workers, which some protectionist measures should be able to do. Um, I think Paul Krugman would disagree. Mm. But uh, I think, yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's a... It's a good measure, though, but I don't know the extent of, like... It's a huge stimulus yeah. package. It's really, like... It's it was such a it's such a large thing for me, at least, where... To be honest, like, if I had America passport, I wouldn't vote for Biden because... The same reason I wouldn't have voted for Hillary. I just can't vote with somebody who ideologically is you so... You wouldn't have voted for Hillary, either. Nah, man. I can't vote for these. Hillary fucking cheated it, man. She just has no respect for democracy, no respect for the fucking country. She's just a power-hungry dickhead. Like, and Biden, I have more sympathy for him because I think he's just getting pushed into it. I don't think he even wants to do it, man. I think he's just, like... He's just fucking sleepwalking his way to the Oval Office. Like, Sleepy Joe. And I, I like... I find his whole campaign so funny and how his, his advisors have finally realized, like, okay, the best strategy we have is to hide him. Like, as few TV yeah. appearances, as few interviews, just fucking keep him in his yeah. house. And it's like, it's, it, it's going back to, like, the pre-1900 method of campaigning. People didn't use the campaign. <laughs> yeah. He would have done better when uh, the United States was getting its news via, like, horse-run yeah, carriages. Yeah, 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 And they just speak yeah. to, like, you know, 20 people outside, like, a nice house. Yeah. And, you know, it's somewhere down south. And all the slaves are, like, in the back. And it's just all the white people in the front. And Biden's out there. Like, yeah, man. When I was working at the swimming pool, there was this lifeguard there. <laughs> Soda pop. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean... This is what I also heard. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know who this person is, but he's a professor at the UVA. His name's Blaustein. I really like him. And his argument for why someone would want Bernie as well, which I think is quite insulting, but a nice compliment in a way for you, which was that, you know, there's this kind of expectation that we have that presidents need to be super fit, you know, that they need to be ready for the job. They need to be kind of, it's this super intense task, uh, very difficult to manage. And it's been going up like that since the Patriot Act and since, you know, 9-11 to a certain extent as well. Like, this greater role of the executive. And maybe it would be nice to have an old man, you know, that's kind of frazzled, that doesn't really, you know, have as much of his faculties as he used to being in charge. Because then it reflects another pendulum swing to a point where the executive really doesn't have as much power as it should. Um, Which is the same appeal for Joe Biden. Oh, definitely, yeah. why do we need, like, such an old why is this a problem that we need such an old guy like such a young guy actually young woman or young guy i don't know man because like for me like i just don't like how everybody brings up constantly how old bernie is and it's like in you some ways that? like he seems the oldest like i'm i met him in iowa and like i was in the same room as him like we're volunteering shook his hand then shake his hand, but I was like two meters away from him. I was. I always get these thoughts from around like you know big celebrities or like people. I'm like, I could like assassinate him now. Yeah. yeah. And you get those thoughts, and just like that would fucking fuck up like everything, man. <laughs> like that would, I'd be in the history books for a show. <laughs> it's the call of the void, man. They'd make a fucking Netflix thing about me. <laughs> yeah. Parents again interviewed. Fucking woof, huge. There's a guy who tried to do it with Trump. Remember that? He fucked it up. 
walked into the auditorium, like pulls yeah. out his gun and like runs down the aisle. If that guy had succeeded, wow, different world again. But yeah, like everybody brings up how old Bernie is, despite the fact he's like two years older than Biden, four years older than Trump, and he's healthier than, than both of them, like mentally and physically. And it's like he might look older, he might seem a bit older. But he's got way mean? more energy, man. I mean, he's way he's way fucking sharper. Like he's fucking yeah. Okay. I mean, to be honest, people don't understand that Joe Biden has been dealing with a lifelong stutter that gets worse when you age ah, as well. Man, I'm sorry. Like, like Biden is fucking. It truly, truly seems like early onset dementia. Like, is there between a stutter and like just getting your words completely mixed up? It's not a stutter. Like I have a stutter at times. I used to have it quite severely. <laughs> He's smiling like a prick. <laughs> I don't have a stutter. I speak. I speak pretty pretty nicely. Always. <laughs> yeah. I used to have it bad, and I don't like mix up my words. Like, there's a big difference between that and a stutter. And with Biden, it's like it's not even mixing up his words. It's like really getting shit like patently wrong and just saying, like him not having any words to speak. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem is, is I, I think dementia is a very hard and intense thing to state. We don't know this guy's ins and out. We don't know what he's like in private. And sure, he makes some gas. I mean, you can say dementia. You can say like, you can say senile. I think senile. senile yeah, but again, yeah. I do think like we should not underestimate like it's it's not. So, I'm sure you've had a stutter and I'm not going to judge your, the intensity of your stutter. But uh, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think Joe Biden had a pretty intense stutter stutter when he was also younger. This is like regarding his fair, articles I, on I've, this. I've heard a lot of people say like, go check out his vice presidential debates from 2012 yeah. and 2008, and it's a different guy. And I haven't actually gone to look at them yet, but like, if the contrast is that sharp, and like. Your argument, I just how can a stutter be that intense increased yeah, over a couple of years? I, yeah. I don't think he had that much of a stutter back in the day, did he? Like, from what I've seen of him, I haven't seen those debates specifically, but everything else I've seen of him, I haven't seen him stutter, man. I haven't seen that, that like, severe, and it might have played out a little bit. Yeah. But there's no way that has, like, evolved into what we've seen over the past year, man. It's been wild. There's, like, fucking 40-minute-long compilations of Joe Biden saying, like, fucking ridiculous shit. And that's why they're hiding him, man. It's because he can't speak. Like, that is so, so ridiculous for a political candidate. Like, your fucking main job as a politician is speaking. Is like, actually just be very good at speaking and delegating and inspiring and, like, just fucking leading. That's what being a leader is. You just fucking talk a lot. And, like, if he can't do that, then he's not fit for the job. And, like, he might be better than Trump. He might support the Buy America program. He might be better on racial issues. He might be better... Like, he might be worse in terms of the military. He's probably going to be more hawkish and actually more, like... This is a real thing. Actually, you should have spoken to someone else I know about this because his foreign policy is something... It's so lightly discussed in American politics, which has such large implications. Joe Biden. Within, well, in general, foreign policy as a whole. Like, Mike Gravel, he's probably a big fan of yours. Uh, but you're a big fan of him, I mean. Mike Gravel, who's from The Intercept? Mike Gravel was also... He also ran in 2012, I think. Oh, that yeah, guy! 20, no, 28. And he's kind of ah. like a Bernie. He was Bernie before Bernie was cool. The fucking independent dude. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm thinking of Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader was the OG bad man. You know about him? 
No. Oh, we're going to watch some Ralph we'll Nader watch tweets. Watch, watch, watch. Ralph Nader, like, Ralph Nader, like, everybody blames him for, like, giving it to Bush instead of Al Gore. Oh, okay. Because okay. he came in and got, like, 3% of the vote, which yeah, was fucking yeah. crazy. Oh, wait, okay. I, I do faintly remember this, but... but he, was, like, he was a boss. He was a true boss. But, yeah, Mike Gravel, he was um, he was the guy who ran... He also ran here. He also ran for this one, but, but just to said, get to the publicity. Exactly. He said, like, I'm not actually running for president, yep. which for me was kind of a bit of, a, like, a, like, okay, well, don't run for president then. Like, don't. Just make him more Well, he wanted to be at the debate so he could make a statement. Yeah, I understand, but then uh, still like, just say, like, okay, well, like, what, like, that just, under, like, if, even if you want to make a statement, it undermines your statement because then it's like, okay, what the fuck are you doing here then? Like, go make that statement, but, like, this platform is people who are running for president. Yeah, no, I, I guess. It's uh, like you're using a platform. Because you, you would have harmed Bernie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I was uh, watching a video of uh, Frank Luntz. He's a pretty famous political pundit. He does the Vice uh, focus group sessions. So he'll be like, what does Ted Cruz make you feel like? What does Beto over? He does oh, yeah. these great videos. He's a pretty famous guy. And um, he was on Larry King. And he was speaking about Joe Biden and about like, some very personal stuff about how personal Joe Biden was. Uh, that uh, Frank Luntz had suffered a stroke and that Joe Biden gave him a fantastic hug. You know, Joe Biden does very, give great hugs. He does give great hugs. That's um, what I've heard. Great hugs, but he really like he's fucking charismatic as shit, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I've met I met people in Iowa who I was like, what, why you want to buy it? And they were like, man, I met the dude. Wow, wow. Same with Cory Booker, man. People who voted for Bernie in 2016, I meet them. I be like, who voted for that Cory Booker? I'm like, what? How did you make that switch? Like how? charisma, charisma, man. They say I met him, shook his hand. Wow, what a guy. Yeah, it's like that. That's that's the power. That's the power. Probably man. remembers her name. Oh, yeah. You know, talks to you exactly about it. But he was arguing, and he was like, my mom had early onset dementia, and he was in arguing, and he, I, seemed, I think he seemed to be favorable of, of Biden to a certain extent. Um, but he goes, you know, we have to vote for Joe. Uh, well, a vote for Joe may not come with an understanding that he's not going to be there for more than four years, you know? I was speaking to my dad about this as well. My dad goes, you know, to a certain extent, it's also a vote for VP. So who he picks for the vice presidential candidate Massively, is, yeah. is going to be factored in. So I think if you also understand the concept that no one is famous alone, that they're famous with, you know, uh, hundreds of people. And even if you think this guy hasn't qualified for it, the actual intellectuals and academics and knowledgeable people that he'll put back in the branches of government that have been taken out, not the branches of government, but, but the the agencies that Trump is replaced by is like, you know, cronies. Um, I wouldn't really mind too much uh, about the fitness of Joe Biden as an eligible candidate. I was, I, I mean, that for me is not, it's not the main thing. Like, it's just, it's like, I just have such an issue with what he has done throughout his career. Like the crime bill what he did in the 60s with segregationists, voting for the Iraq war, yeah. all these things are just like, any one of those things for me is, is kind of unforgivable. And it just says so much about him, his character. And like the fact of his dementia in some ways for me is like, it's kind of all right. Like it's doesn't really fucking matter that much. He's just going to be controlled by who he's around. Who he's around is going to be establishment Dems. And I think establishment Dems for me, they're just like, they're, there's such a humongous problem for the world. But, and I, I just... Here's what I don't get. Like, are you going to be principled or are you going to be consequentialist, you know? Consequential. 
Because, sure, there's plenty of politicians that have done, you know, supported bills that you may not favor. But at the end of the day, who are you going to actually choose to have the effect? And you not voting, it's the same thing for, like, people that voted for Kasich as opposed to Trump. Like, great, you're helping, you know? Like, like I mean, I, for me, it's, yeah. like, I need something. I need some reason to vote for this guy. And his stimulus bill with climate change and his Buy America program and supporting that recently coming out, he's he's got some good advisors, I think, on his team now. And I, he's taking the rights. Like, the polls came out recently, last week. He's up fucking nine points on average, bro. That's a dick-in-the-face kind of lead. And, like... It's because he's been saying good things recently, and he's been staying away. Wait for those away. debates, man. Those debates are gonna be stunning. I can't wait to fuck. We need to. We're gonna watch him here. Yeah. And fucking like live stream it or something. It's gonna be oh man, it could go so bad. Debate, man. I I was saying I maybe I was saying it to you. I can't. Remember, I was saying it to me. I was like, that is like Trump's fucking Alamo. That's yeah, the last chance saloon. He has to come out. Guns blazing, fucking he knows it too. jacked up on Red Bull and fries, sniffing and a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like as soon as they break, he's like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. His table is just stacked with fucking donuts and Red Bull. Uh, yeah, because if he slaps that debate, he's got done. a chance. But if he doesn't, it's done. It's really done. If he brings out Joe Biden's mental fitness which he will in those debates which he will joe's done and i genuinely think there's a chance that like joe he's gonna get pulled up on it and it's all just like it's all on him it's all on him and his fucking mushy brain in those two hours to like hold it together because if if he gets pulled up like if if the framing goes towards that and then he comes in and goes well actually my brain is is one of the best brains but this is, I was there in 1970 with the Iraq war, but I wasn't know enough for what I was going to do with the table. And I didn't know what the mug was saying to me. And like, he does that, you know, he did that with the fucking record players. <laughs> he could genuinely do that. But yeah, I think we should wrap this podcast up because we've been going for 54 minutes. Elmer, it's been lovely chatting to you as always. It's been lovely. We'll continue it. Indeed. We've, uh, we've got much more to speak about <laughs> with yeah. regards to the States. My name's been Felix, and this has been Party Roulette. Catch you cats on the flip-flop.